So you've always got to think if there's a physiological process going on, what is the cosmetic implication of that? And then you use the cosmetic implication rather than physiology. That's right. Yep. And the other thing I guess to be aware of in particular is around ingredients. So a lot of people think, well, I can say that this ingredient is traditionally known as this healing herb or it's been used for this. But unfortunately, the TGA still would deem that to be a therapeutic claim or deem the product to be a therapeutic good if you're making a claim about the ingredient in the product, not just the product itself. Mentoring with Geraldine is a bite-sized practitioner podcast for naturopaths, nutritionists, herbalists, coaches, and practitioners. This podcast responds directly to the needs of you, the practicing natural therapist. We have interviews during the holiday season and business and mindset support each week so you'll get the variety you need to enjoy and stay motivated in your practice. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly episodes And if you want to connect with me, always check the show notes because that's where you'll find the links to book appointments and, of course, to join the Academy, the membership group, where there's constant connection and community with like-minded practitioners. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mentoring with Geraldine and the Bite Size Podcast. Now, I've got a treat for you guys today. I know it's holiday time, it's July, for some of you it's cold, some of you it's even colder, and some of you are pretending it's cold because you're in the north of Australia. And then in England, you're all actually enjoying the warmth, which is lovely. So what I've got for you today, or who I've got for you today, I should say, is Jennifer Rudd. Now, Jennifer works with people who want to create skincare, like the registration. She's a business educator for compliance, like because there's so many rules around making things and selling things. And as natural therapists, we all make stuff, don't we? You compound your herbs. So anyone can buy a bottle of herbal tincture, but they're not allowed to mix them without our education. I mean, obviously they do because people do everything they want to do. You know, it's like we all think we can do everything and they get it wrong and we get into trouble. So when we have a compliance educator, it means we get it right in the first place. Now, I don't know about you guys, but back in the day when I first started out, I used to go to markets and I used to make product. My father had emphysema and so he was breathing through his mouth, so he had very, very dry lips. So I started making a lip product for him you know, and he loved it. He was like, I need more, I need more because his lips would get so dry. So I started making these things and I was taking them to markets. This is a really long time ago and hopefully outside of any legal comeback because I didn't do any compliance. I made a little label. I did what I needed to do. I phoned the council when I first started business and said, hey, I'm going to run a business out of my front room. Is that okay? And they said, are you going to have, you know, as a shop? And I was like, no, no, it's a one-to-one consultancy. I'm just going to see people. And they're like, oh, no, you don't have to do anything. Now, I'm sure the rules are different now, right? Like, they must be different now. But back in the day, it was very lax anyway. And there weren't all the rules around it. And now we've got the TGA on our back all the time. We're not allowed to say this. We're not allowed to say that. So we have to know. We have to get it right. So I've invited Jennifer on to talk to us a little bit about getting it right. Now, Jennifer, would you like to introduce yourself properly? Because mine was a bit of a random introduction there because you're the skincare educator whiz. So share a bit about yourself and how you got into this. First of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Geraldine. It's really great to be here talking to your audience today about compliance, which is one thing I'm obviously very passionate about. It's hard for people to find all of the information that they need. So that's why through my business, Skincare Business Foundations, I help people to be able to start and grow their skincare brands, 
knowing that they're compliant and being able to confidently market and sell those products. That's great. I mean, how did you get into this? How did you decide to help everyone with compliance? Because, I mean, it's all the legalese and everything else to go with it, isn't there? Yes, definitely. It's not everyone's cup of tea, certainly. But I've had a corporate background in risk compliance and audit for 13 years. So coming through energy and financial services, which, as you can imagine, not the most exciting industries to work in, or particularly from a a compliance space. So back in 2015, I actually decided to start my own skincare brand as a bit of a side hustle or creative outlet for my day job. And then after a couple of years, I was, you know, doing markets, doing my thing online. And I noticed that there was a lot of people posting in Facebook groups saying that they too wanted to start a skincare brand, but they didn't necessarily have the business background. So I've studied business and psychology at uni as well prior to starting my corporate career. So they didn't have the business background and certainly not the compliance kind of background as well. So I really noticed that there was an opportunity because a lot of the compliance related companies out there, they weren't really kind of catering to those smaller businesses who were just starting out. So that's when I decided I had a bit of a light bulb moment one morning and thought, why don't I combine, you know, what I love doing? So compliance and the skincare industry and helping people with what I'm good at as well. So yeah, that's how Skincare Business Foundations was born back in 2018. And as of last year, I was able to take it from a side hustle to my full-time job. Oh, that is really cool. I mean, it's so good because everyone, we've all got this dream about having the side hustle as the full-time job. I'm all for people having more than one job, I've got to say, because I actually enjoy the variety myself. So when we're thinking about creating our own product, though, as a naturopath, I create stuff, right? So the nutritionist side of me will compound a product for a client. The herbalist side of me will compound a liquid herbal for somebody's problem, for their illness, whatever it is. Now, I can do that one-to-one sitting in my office. And there's no problems with that. I've got my TGA certificate. I can buy alcohol if I want to. I can create my own herbal tinctures if I want to and the herbalist. But if I want to compound for more than that one person in front of me, what are some of the quick tips or tricks that I mean, you've got a course that people can buy anytime to figure this out and work through and figure out how to do this properly. But what are some of the quick tips you've got for them when they think to themselves, hey, I really want to start doing this more. I'm really enjoying making things because that's part of it, isn't it? Do you enjoy making things? That's right. Yes, you definitely have to enjoy the making of things. That's very important. One of the first questions that I often get asked is, what registrations do I need? Or do I need to register with anyone to make or sell cosmetics because overseas in some countries they have some stricter regulations but in Australia there's no registration for cosmetic products so as you mentioned before the council if you've already got your kind of council approval for activities on site making sure that that's fine but in terms of cosmetic regulators there's no registration required unless you're importing ingredients or finished products from overseas but you're probably not unlikely to be doing that but that's something to be aware of there is a regulatory body called ACIS A-I-C-I-S But apart from that, no registration required. Are these rules the same in New Zealand as well? Do you know? It's a bit different, surprisingly. They're more aligned with the EU. So generally, if people in New Zealand are compliant with EU regulations, then then they'll be fine. I'm not a specialist in New Zealand. I do focus just on Australian. And then I have my kind of various people that I refer my clients onto. But yeah, certainly registrations is one of the key things. And also, I think from an insurance perspective, it's not really a compliance thing, but certainly important from a perspective. 
to make sure that your insurance will cover you, you know, with your public and products liability. So talking to a broker, your current broker, because I'm sure you've all already got insurance. So, <laughs> so double checking that you're covered for these new types of products that you want to sell. Yes, we all as accredited nutritionists and naturopaths and we all need insurance. And if you're a health coach or a coach, you need insurance to do that. Everyone needs insurance. Yeah. And then insurance covers different places. Like my insurance does not cover North America as a practitioner. That's a different form of insurance for North America. So we do have to think about our insurances and everyone has to have them. And and here in Australia as well, because we've got tax, we've got GST, the Australian GST, and there's a threshold. Isn't it? It's like neither of us are financial people. So this is just general information that I'm about to share to you, the community. So it's like 75,000. Once you hit that, you have to start paying GST. But our consults are GST free because we're with an association. So we've got all these other things. We've got all these compliance issues just with doing our job. So what we don't want to do is mess it up by making stuff and going to a market and then perhaps putting something on the label that shouldn't be there. Have you got some tips and tricks around what should be on the label of these general products for people? Yeah, sure. So you need one of the most common mistakes I think I see is around the measurement marking. It's something, you know, small on there. That's the quantity or the volume of product that's in there, but the amount of different abbreviations I see, because there's mandatory requirements around the position of it, the format and the size and how it can be abbreviated as well. So it's just such a small part of the label, but it's so commonly I see people doing it wrong. So for example, for grams, if you're going to abbreviate it, just put a G there, no GMS, no GM, no G-R-A-M-M-E-S, like I see all sorts of variations so either write it out in full or put a small G. So your measurement marking, it's a small part of that, but it, there are requirements around it. Obviously, then you've got your ingredients. That's one of the main things that we think of that need to be on our label. So we need to make sure that that's in the correct format, the correct order, which is, again, depending on the nature of your products and how complex they might be, you need to kind of just be conscious of getting things in the correct descending order. And then you also need a name and address on there, which is another thing. Because it's not in the ingredients labeling legislation, People, that's the kind of the main thing that people go to when they're doing labels, but there's actually, I think, at least six laws and regulations that relate to labels, not just that, the ingredients labeling legislation. So something to be aware of. So including your name and, and if it's got to be a physical address as well, I want to point that out. So no PO boxes. So with um, one I used to make for my father, I used to put it in this tiny little wee pot that he could put in his pocket. So with something like that, obviously I couldn't put all that information on it. So are we allowed to put things in a bag or have a tag label? There is some allowance in the regulations. If it's of a size, shape or nature where you can't fit all the information, then you can present it in another way, such as a little brochure or a flyer or something like that. So we've made this decision. I want to make, okay, we're going back to my lip product that I made for my father all those years ago. So I want to make a lip product and I want to put it out to market. Now I've gone out, I've bought all the product. Is there anything around who I purchase from? No, no requirements there. It's only really if you were importing things or buying something from overseas, then you would need to be aware of those ACIS obligations that I mentioned earlier. So nothing really specific around yeah, who you get the ingredients from. Obviously, you want to buy something from a trusted supplier that you're going to know that they, yeah, they've got a good quality product and you should be testing your products as well, making sure that you've done kind of some sort kind of stability testing, or if you've got water-based products, making sure you're doing some preservative efficacy testing in there. 
because you really want to be making sure that any products with water are properly preserved and they're not going to go moldy or off and that they're going to last for however long that you say they're going to last. Right. I mean, I assume each state has different places or do we test ourselves? I mean, do I have to invest in a full spectrometer or where I can set things off to rather than spending $1,000 on a spectrometer? There are definitely companies out there that will do it. Certainly for PET or preservative efficacy testing, that's something that you would want to outsource because it is more complex. But for things like stability testing, there are certain ways. I won't have time to go through them in task. But certainly if you Google cosmetic testing techniques, there'll be information out there like things like freeze-thaw testing and certain ways that you can do that yourself. Or sometimes people buy like the dehydrators and things like that just to speed up that testing because you don't want to have to kind of wait for 12 months to see if your product's got a 12-month shelf life. So there are ways that you can accelerate that testing. But I'm pretty sure that's an area that a lot of brands and I hate to say this, a lot of brands probably great at doing this testing. They kind of put out their products and just hope for the best. Not, yeah. not advisable. Yeah, I've bought a few of those products. So, I mean, I assume that sort of listed how to do that is all in the course. So, yeah, yeah, I've got the basics of how to do that. And certainly that kind of thing. So my compliance confidence course is called, it's got four modules that's all around your labeling, your claims, business registrations, marketing, all of that kind of stuff. But that kind of thing as well with testing, product testing, and really making sure your products are safe is why I recommend to people to do a formulation course as well, because there is quite a lot, there can be quite a lot to it. So definitely looking at even just doing a basic one so you can learn how to manufacture safely. So in Australia, we don't have any requirements to manufacture under something like GMP. You might've heard of that, good manufacturing practices. That's something that overseas that a lot of requirements have, certainly for TGA products, they all have to comply with GMP, to be GMP approved manufacturing facilities if you're making therapeutic goods, but for cosmetics, there aren't any requirement, but it's certainly best practice to follow as many of that as you can. And certainly for your listeners as well, making their own products is one option, but they might do that for a little while and then they might decide, hey, this is going really well. I'm actually ready to scale up. And at that time, and that time you could outsource to a manufacturer and they will have all that GMP stuff in place already and be doing those tests and everything like that. Which would be much easier as long as you've got the sales coming out so that it's worth. Yes, definitely. Next level. You've got your product, they're going to test and they might actually turn around and say, actually, you tested this one wrong six months ago. It's not going to last long because their facility is just that little bit more advanced than what you're using. So there's so much going on in the production of product for people. Because we like it. I mean, as natural therapists, we dare mix in a cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part, right? They were formulating and mixing, yeah. You know, you're weighing it all out. Those first set of scales that I bought were, and then I was like, no, the dog got low enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Extra zeros. <laughs> I need those extra zeros. And because my background was pediatric nursing, so neonatal nursing, I started out as an adult nurse and I got smaller and smaller and smaller. And so, I was used to giving 0.01 of a medication to a 600 gram baby. So then when I first started in naturopathy, people were going, oh yeah, we're giving X number of grams to an adult. And I'd be like, okay, that doesn't even work in my brain. I can't even work that <laughs> out anymore. I, yeah. I need all those dots and zeros. So I mean, there's some things that we need, like really scales that go down to the nothings and Are there any sort of tips and tricks around buying sort of small things that we need that are a bit cheaper? Is there anybody that you go to? I mean, I know that I personally now buy some things from AliExpress rather than from Australian companies. 
I mean, I certainly don't buy herbal stuff from AliExpress. <laughs> My notes come from Austral. Are there any sort of tips and tricks around things that we really need to have in our, ultimately our kitchen or our office to make this all go that bit easier? Like those tiny scales, is there any sort of bits and bobs that we need? Yeah, look, to be honest, I would buy, I used to buy the smaller scales off eBay. So kind of based on the number of zeros that I meant, but then that I needed, but then my final scales that I was weighing out the finished product into the packaging was actually a more expensive few hundred dollar one that I bought. It was actually a trade certified. I bought it from a trade certified measurement store where I, because at that stage, I didn't understand the regulations myself. And I thought when I read this um, guide to the sale of prepackaged goods that the the regulator has, the, the National Measurement Institute, it talked about needing trade approved scales. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't have these. And I'm about to do this big market. And it says that I need to have these. So I went out and like splashed out all this money on them, which is good, right? Because it means that it's been verified and it's the kind of thing that if you were buying fruit from a fruit shop that sells things by weight, they would have to have trade approved scales because customers are buying from that. So I knew that it could be it was going to be properly calibrated because at the end of the day, what matters from a regulatory perspective is that someone is getting the measurement or like that quantity that you're selling to them. So if you've said it's a 50 gram product, you need to know that it's going to be 50 gram. There are some allowances that, um, in terms of how they get measured, but that's kind of the main scale, I suppose, that you want to be making sure is a good quality one and correct. But there are other ways, you know, you could get your little weights to kind of test it and calibrate and make sure that you're always giving the customer what they're paying for. Yeah, that's a really big thing, isn't it? So yeah. what's another little question I get? Well, I wonder, yeah, I, we haven't talked about probably the, the elephant in the room, which is around claims that you can make because... The claims, that's right. I'm yes. Again, another big one, apart from labelling, the other issue that people struggle with the most when they're starting out their skincare brand is the claims that they can make. So as you touched on earlier, you're allowed to make therapeutic claims about some products you make, like your compounds and, and tinctures. But when it comes to cosmetics, you have to remember that you're making cosmetic products. So it's totally separate from your TGA registration. So you're only allowed to make cosmetic claims. And what I mean by cosmetic claims is really those surface level, superficial kind of effects. So things like moisturizing, hydrating, improving the appearance of the skin, perfuming it, protecting it, and things like that. So nothing to do with physiological changes to the body or anything in relation to treating any conditions. That's important to remember. So we can't say that it will increase... Heal eczema. No. Oh, <laughs> heal eczema. Yeah, we're not allowed to use the word heal at all. We can't heal and we can't cure so we do, we do not use those words <laughs> anywhere yeah. at all, ever. That's so good. <laughs> just put that in there. Yeah, we don't do that. So when we've got our product, I mean, we can't say something like will it increase collagen. No, that's a good one. And that's actually something that you see a lot. So it increases collagen production because you're talking about that production is a physiological process. But what, how you need to think about it is, well, what's the cosmetic effect of that collagen production? Well, it's going to be things like smoothing wrinkles and reducing the appearance of wrinkles. So you've always got to think if there's a physiological process going on, what is the cosmetic implication of that? And then you use the cosmetic implication rather than yes. physiological. That's right. Yep. And the other thing I guess to be aware of in particular is around ingredients. So a lot of people think, well, I can say that this ingredient is traditionally known as this healing herb or it's been used for this. But unfortunately, the TGA still would deem that to be 
a therapeutic claim or deem the product to be a therapeutic good if you're making a claim about the ingredient in the product, not just the product itself. So traditionally used for, so you've got an aches and pains cream. So you're not allowed to call it an aches and pains cream? No. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to, the calling it a movement cream? Yeah, you can use like, yeah, got creative but good client terms, yeah. Yeah, and then on the label, we're not allowed to say white willow, traditionally used to reduce pain and joints. That's correct, yeah. It's hard and it's I know a lot of people struggle with it, but I think one of the things you need to remember is a lot of the time our customers know what these what the benefits are of these ingredients and you can probably share that with them in some of your sessions that you've had when you've been doing your naturopathy or nutritionist setting sessions. So you don't always need to spell these things out, certainly not on a label or your website where it can be visible to a regulator. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot around regulation. It's a really good idea to have a course like yours sitting in your pocket that you can go, okay, I am going to go a bit further with this cream or this spray or this whatever. I've really enjoyed it and making it. And I'm going to make yeah. it all the time at the market. Yeah. So trying to make it go that next step. Yeah. And one of the things I've got in my course, I've got a whole uh, week on claims, therapeutic claims, and a whole module. And one of the things in that is my cosmetic versus therapeutic claims guide. And it's got a cosmetic claims dictionary. And in that, it's got one column, like it's got a lot of words to kind of say, or you know, types of claims that you want to make. This is how it would be a cosmetic. This is how it would be a therapeutic. And this is where it could be borderline. So you need to clarify it because we've got to remember that it's also the kind of the overall context of how we're presenting a product, not just certain words. That's another thing I get asked, can I say this word? And I'm like, it's not just a word that makes something compliant or not. It's the overall context as well. So it's a bit of a Bible. I actually use it personally when I'm doing clients. So I do label reviews and things like that as well. If people just want to kind of hand that over and get someone else to check it rather than learning it all for themselves. But in the compliance confidence course, I do give people label checklists, claims checklists. So you can actually kind of go through and do your own compliance if that's something that you're interested in rather than outsourcing it to a red consultant like me. So yeah, there's different, certainly different options to getting compliant. That's brilliant. So well, tons to think about there. And the link to your course will be in the show notes for everybody and a link to you that will all be in the show notes. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. And it's been great. I think we've covered a lot in a short amount of time. It's been wonderful. <laughs> yeah. When I say bite size, I try to get it all in that bite size. I'm all about bite size podcast. So I, so I love it. Totally love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely brilliant having you here. And guys, if you've got any questions, just pop them in an email. So Jennifer's email will be in there as well so that you can catch up with her. So thank you again. Excellent. Thank you. And feel free to reach out to me on Instagram as well at Skincare Business Foundation. Send me a DM if you've listened to this and what your biggest takeaway was or if you've loved it. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. What a great idea. Yes, definitely. DM. We do like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All of the links will be in the show notes for you guys. So don't worry about that. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me, Geraldine. It's been great. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast for the weekly episodes. If you'd like even more support and learning, then the Academy is for you. Here you'll find part two of the herbal discussions, more clinical learning and case studies to support your clients in practice. Bye for now.